Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We have a special guest speaker here today. His name is Pastor Nick Baumgart. Uh, I gave him the opportunity he could either share uh, uh, his own message here at South Coast Christian, or if he wanted to follow our series, he could. And he said, no, I'm going to follow your series. So that was pretty cool. I'll let him announce uh, which disciple he chose, but I think it tells a little bit about his character once you hear this. But um, anyhow, uh, no, that's, yeah. I love Pastor Nick, uh, his wife Heather here. Uh, I've known Nick, I think it's coming on almost 30 years now. Nick is a pastor of a great church in Marysville, Washington, called the Grove Church. It's where my oldest son actually is pastoring there as well. He's their media director and does some things, but he's actually preaching today at their church while Nick is preaching here at our church. Uh, Nick gets a break because he's only one service where the, Brett or Evan's having to do three services, but we're so excited to have you. We're actually, if I'm being really honest, we're actually really excited to have Emerson back, but we are glad that you're here as well. Emerson, their daughter, goes to Vanguard University, so they brought her back to Vanguard here, and she's going to be spending this year, and I heard, he said, hey, you want to grab coffee this week? And I said, no, I want you to preach this week for me, because I'm going on vacation, this would work out great. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And so, uh, can you guys give, and also, this is their 23rd wedding anniversary today, so they're celebrating that as well. I know they don't look old enough for that, but it's true. And, uh, but will you guys give Nick a big round of applause as he comes up to the platform and shares? Well, it's fun to be here. My name is Pastor Tom. And uh, so if you're new to the church, um, that's what's going If you're online and you're new, thank you for being here. No. Um, in stature, if Tom were here, he'd be more of the Philistine and I'm more like Frodo. So um, in height, but... Um, no, it's, it's, really, it's really fun to be here, and uh, if, if you've got a Bible with you, if you've got a, a, a smartphone with a Bible app, you can turn to Matthew 26, and that's where, uh, that's where we're going to land. Uh, yeah, it's uh, 23rd wedding anniversary today. Um, when I got married, Tom leaned in at one point, at the point we were engaged, and said, I give you seven years, and so I just want to let you know that, um, no, he didn't really say that. I'm um, just kidding, but um, no, it's really fun. It is fun, and, and Evan is actually speaking right now in one of our gatherings, and so he's up there doing that, and, and I'm down here. And I know what it's like as a pastor to come off a of vacation and, and have to speak, so it is kind of a nice little break, and I've taken that drive before. Um, we went up the one um, along the coast, and I'm sure many of you have done that drive. It's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm just always amazed at how many convertible uh, Mustangs and Camaros there are that people are renting to drive um, up that, with, you know, so uh, I, t- I took note of that. But uh, it's, it's an honor to be here, uh, 23 years of marriage, it's great to, to have Em here um, as well. I didn't grow up in church world, uh, I, I don't know your background, but um, I wasn't a church kid, uh, I, was, I was kind of a, a, an idiot punk kid that uh, uh, did all kinds of dumb things in my community, and, um, and then got, Jesus got a hold of my life as a junior in high school. I tell it this way. But um, I, there's a girl that I thought was cute that invited me to church, and I'm not stupid, so I'm like, yeah, I'll go. And, um, 
And uh, I, it sounds a little odd to say it this way, but honestly, I went to this meeting and I hadn't been I, you know, church here and there for Christmas sometimes and stuff, but um, I, I, I felt like I had a vision of Jesus in, in this meeting I went to and uh, I was talking to this gal afterwards and she basically just said, now that you know Jesus is real, make the decision. Do you want to serve him or not? And that was really a turning point in my life and that was 30 years ago. So that was way, way back when and... Um, I, uh, again, sounds a little weird to say this, but my, my goal when I live, I, of course, I live up in north of Seattle, about 45 minutes, and I always wanted to move down here. So all the way through, as, as early as I can remember in elementary school, I wanted to be an actor. So my thought was I'm going to, you know, move down to the L.A. area and all, you know, bus tables and all audition and maybe, you know, do something. And the heart behind that, by the way, was that for me, I don't know what it was, but I remember thinking, man, I want to, I love the idea of sitting down for 30 minutes and watching a sitcom or an hour and a half or two-hour movie and forgetting the cares of this world and just dialing into something like that. And I remember thinking, I want to do that for people. So that was kind of my heart behind it. And um, when I gave my life to Christ, um, along that journey, not too far into it, I felt like, man, if I really believe what I say I believe about Jesus, honestly, that's like better than a movie because that's like all the time. That's like Jesus cares today, tomorrow, every day, and into eternity. And so really the, the, the shift for me was Man, I want to help people understand who Jesus is because that's honestly far better than sitcoms and movies and stuff like that. And so that's kind of uh, the, the turning point for me, salvation, and, and then realizing maybe I had this call to ministry. And I met my, my wife, Heather, in our auditorium, the one that I speak in now. And uh, she came up to me in about the third row of the auditorium one day and said, Hi, my name's Heather, and um, I'll come up to you and, and introduce myself and tell you my name until you remember it, so you don't forget it. And I never forgot it from that day. She hates that story because it makes her sound ridiculous, but I won't let her come up and explain anything um, just because then she'll have her you know, side of the story. But... um. Anyway, so yeah, we, uh, we met in the auditorium. We got married in that same auditorium. Uh, we'd had all four kids in that. No, we didn't have them in there. Um, no, that's, that was weird. That was too far. I'm sorry about that. Um, so no, we have, we have four kids and uh, one of them down here at Vanguard. And um, like I said, I didn't grow up in church. One of the things I used to do as a kid growing up, though, because I always believed there was something out there. I always believed there was something. And um, having gone to church a few times as a kid, I remember thinking, it, it's, it's, it's Jesus. You know, I, I think I believe in Jesus, but I didn't have any idea what that really meant. And so I wasn't part of church and all that. And I would pray sometimes in my room as a kid growing up, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. I would pray, Lord, if you're real, if you just move that book in my, on my shelf across the room, then I'll believe in you. And I don't know if you ever as a kid or even as an adult, maybe prayed, that kind of thing. And uh, just so you know, the book never moved. It, it never went from one place to the other. But I also remember, and like I said, I was kind of a punk kid, and not to give anybody any ideas, but um, I would, uh, we would egg cars and, and steal hood ornaments and just dumb stuff like that as a kid. I know, and now I'm like in the community as a pastor. It's, it's really weird. But um, I remember one time uh, somebody called the police and they were looking for us. And I remember praying, Lord, if you get me out of this, um, I will pray for real. Because one of the things I used to pray as a kid randomly was, Lord, everything I usually pray, amen. And that wasn't much of a prayer. And so the, I remember the cops were trying to find us and stuff. And I was hiding somewhere. I'm like, Lord, if you get me out of this, you know, this is a turning point for my life. And it didn't change at all. And um, that's kind of, uh, I, I guess, how it goes. But I, I'm curious, though. Um, when I look back on my life, even after countless moments, and I, I really feel like I could go on and on about how God in his sovereignty was guiding and, and moving in my life. And of course, as he revealed himself to me and I surrendered myself to him, I still find myself wanting to do my own thing even today. 
Is anybody with me in that conversation? There's like, we, we sing, you know, faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. We talk about the promises of God, and yet we find ourselves going, I love your promises, Lord, but what about this? And, and sometimes what we do is we'll think to ourselves, uh, or, or there's a good chance we've all thought to ourselves, if I experienced what so-and-so experienced, I'd be dialed in. I would be, that, I'd be fully in. And you think about when you read scripture, you go over like the Israelites in Egypt and all of the plagues and, and, and God getting them out of there. And if you saw all that God did for the Israelites, you'd be dialed in, right? Or you think that, you know, on, on another example, you, you think of um, as the, the Israelites are conquering the promised land, at one point Jericho. Anybody remember the story of Jericho? And they go and they march around every day for six days one time. And then the seventh day they march around seven times. They shout and the walls fall down. And that's, I mean, if you saw that, you'd be like, I am dialed in. And over and over, these stories come up. Elijah and, and, the, and the raising of, of a dead boy back to life. And man, if I was there, man, I'd be dialed in. Um, and, and sometimes what we do is even with the disciples, you, you've probably thought to yourself, if you've been in the faith for any length of time, if I was with Jesus, if I was watching Jesus perform the miracles, if I got to watch Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount and teach with authority, man, I'd be, if I got to watch Jesus, you know, make a hand grow back or, you know, do the magic trick with a hat, you know, and bread out of it over and over to feed 5,000 people, like, I'm, I'm in. Like, that's Jesus, that's it. And, and yet, one of the things you find is that the disciples, every single one of them fell away. Every single one of them at Jesus' arrest fell away except one. And the one that didn't, do you know who that was? It was Judas. So Tom, in joking with me about speaking on this, the disciples says, hey, you could always do Judas with this funny winky emoji. And I'm like, okay, I'll do Judas. Judas was not the one that fell away at Jesus' arrest. Judas fell away long before that. And in fact, we're going to talk about Judas today because what you see in the life of Judas is on one hand, you go, here's a disciple that got to experience everything that Matthew and John and James and all these, they experienced, and yet here he is as one who betrayed Jesus. And we'll get to Matthew 26 in just a moment, but when you go back and look at Judas' life, what you'll find is there's not a ton that was said about him. So Matthew 26 is where we're going to land, but it starts out with the call of the disciples. And most of us, if you've been, you know, scripture readers for a length of time, you've read through the gospels, and in every single one of them, there's a list of the disciples. And which one is always named last in that list? Judas. You guys with me today? It's Judas, and, and, and in fact, it doesn't just say Judas. Often, for every one of the disciples, they will use a phrase similar to this, and Judas, who became a traitor. Every single one of the, 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 the Gospels writes about Judas being last on the list, and it includes that phrase, um, also he became a traitor. And, an, and there's not a lot said about him throughout the chunk of the Gospels when you see Jesus doing miracles and, and all this stuff. We'll get to Matthew 26, but... Let me take you to John chapter 6 for a moment because there's a couple of things that we get wind of about Judas along the way. They're rare, but they're there. So we'll come into Matthew 26 in a minute, but in John chapter 6, it says this. This is, uh, this is uh, Jesus with the, the whole crowd of people, disciples, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. I'll give you context in a minute. This is John 6, 61. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. Okay, watch this. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Remember who says this? This is John. We'll get to Matthew. This is John. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So just a little window here, and in the context, what Jesus has done is there there was disciples, and you need to know this, there wasn't just 12 disciples. There was 12 that were the key 12 that are listed, but there were whole crowds that were considered at times disciples of Jesus. But at this point, Jesus has said to the crowd, "Unless, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. And of course, Jesus at different times is speaking like in parables and allegory, all this stuff. And this is one of those where he's not talking about, here, take a piece of my flesh and have a bite and we're good. Okay, but he says it and, and most of the disciples here, you know, walked away because they're like, this is getting weird. Like he, he, he's kind of reorienting things around who he is and there's a question of him being the Messiah and we're not sure and the religious leaders are kind of poisoning the waters. And so when he teaches this, it says specifically, verse 66, for, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so that's the crowd. But Jesus had talked right before that about one of them in particular being Judas, one who would betray him. Then Jesus says, you don't, you don't want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? So there's that twelve. And then he says this, yet one of you is a devil. And of course, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who thought, uh, who though was uh, one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So in John chapter 6, John gives us a window into that that Judas never fully really gave in, never really believed, never really surrendered himself to the Messiah. This is part of the problem here, and you're going to see the progression. It gets worse because at this point, uh, Jesus even outs Judas as one of you is the devil. In other words, one of you has got some issues of, of, of no surrender, and that becomes a greater problem later on. Another uh, rare insight appears now that we get to Matthew chapter 26. And so in 26, I'm going to start at verse 6. It says this, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They were angry. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And there are some theologians that would say it was worth a year's wages. So this is a crazy, crazy expensive bottle of perfume, by the way, given by Mary of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is this this moment here. And Matthew says the disciples were indignant. For some reason, Matthew is being kind. Matthew puts it on all of the disciples, whereas John, who already outed Judas once, actually outs him again. Because this is how John puts it. But one of his disciples, same text, different storyteller, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this. Here's John again. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here's Johnny, and Matthew's being kind. Matthew says it was all of us, and, and, and John's like, no, it wasn't. It was Judas. Judas was the one that was angry. Judas has a problem. Judas is greedy. Ju- Judas, as John already said, Jesus said, didn't believe. Not only did he not believe, Jesus calls him a devil. And then John says, it was Judas who was angry about the perfume incident. And what follows that directly is this. Then one of the 12, we're in Matthew 26 again. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Matthew says immediately after the frustration over the perfume incident, Judas is so upset about that that money being wasted that, that he goes to the religious leaders who were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus, to deal with Jesus. And Judas says, I'll do it. What do you want to give me? And, and, and they say 30 pieces of silver. Now, there's something you need to know just briefly about the 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver wasn't just some random amount. It was prophesied. In Zechariah chapter 11, Zechariah talks about this idea that the Lord had said, you're going to go shepherd people that, that belong to religious leaders, and you're going to be the shepherd of them, uh, or excuse me, of the sheep. And in this chapter, in Zechariah 11, there's this, this specific word that says, uh, or Zechariah specifically talks about that, that he would, he would uh, give up shepherding and be so frustrated because he says, I've shepherded all of these sheep for you. What are you going to give me? And they say to him, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. And it says specifically in Zechariah 11, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. And Zechariah literally says, he throws it to the potter in the temple. Which, by the way, is what Jesus, Judas excuse me, would later on do. The other thing you need to know is that in Exodus chapter 21, which, by the way, if you're taking notes, you really should write this down. In Exodus 21, verse 32 30 pieces of silver was a slave's price if a slave was gored to death by an animal. That's all Jesus was worth to them. They didn't think much of Jesus at all, and we know this from a religious crowd that wanted the Messiah dead. It's an insult. Even Zechariah, when you read chapter 11 of of his letters, prophetic work, you see that he was insulted when they said, after all of the shepherding you've done, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. And he's like, wow, that's what you'll give me? What's with an exaggerated exclamation point in the language? Meaning, that's ridiculous. So when we talk about 30 pieces of silver, it was kind of a bigger deal than maybe you'd ever imagine, and it wasn't a ton of money. Again, some scholars, some theologians would say you're talking about a, a few thousand dollars, maybe up to you know, the price of a brand new Kia. You know? um, so, but um, scholars don't say that I said that, but we'll just... As the chapter continues, it says that Jesus took what we call the Last Supper. And I'm going to take you, give you a pause here. I love how in these moments, what, what was called the Passover, Jesus can completely reorients around himself. Did you know that? What used to be for, for generations and generations and generations, the celebration annually of the Passover 
And the story of the Passover goes back to Exodus and, 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 and the you know, children of Israel and slavery and, and the final plague that would come. And, and the angel of the Lord came to Moses to tell them to put blood on the doorpost of the lamb. Then the, the angel of death will come. And if there's blood on the sides and the top of the doorpost, the angel will go by. But if there's not, he will, he will take out the firstborn of all the sons. And the angel of death comes and, and, and ends up th- that in Egypt... The children were dead, but in Israel they weren't. And finally, Pharaoh leaves, and, and it says after that they were required by God to celebrate the Passover. And so this is Jesus, as the Passover comes around annually, he brings the disciples together, and we call it the Last Supper. But what did Jesus do? He reoriented the entire celebration or ceremony from what God had done with Moses in Exodus to him when he broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. And you can imagine the disciples going, wait, what? The, me? Or Jesus? I thought it was. And then he says, takes the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant. Huge deal. But it's at that moment that Jesus talks about one of you will betray me. And that's where in front of the disciples, he outs Judas. And Judas leaves from that meal, and the disciples go to the garden with Jesus, and what do they do? They're there praying, and they're tired and worn out, and they've been traveling, and, and all this stuff's gone on, and, and, and Jesus is, is stressed, and, and he's in the garden, and, and he's seeking the Lord, his, his heavenly Father. And as he's in the garden, the disciples are, are, are back a little ways, and he's praying, and he comes back in their sleep, and he goes, come on, I need you to pray. And he goes back, and he, and he begins to pray by himself, Father, take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross, but whatever you want is what I really want. And he goes back to the disciples are sleeping again. He goes back and prays, and and finally he comes back and says, look, here comes my betrayer. And that's when Judas shows up. And by the way, this is the last conversation they will have. And so when when we talk about Judas, Judas, and the reason I bring up this whole conversation is because for you and I, you might go, if I was a disciple and I saw all that Jesus did, man, I'd be dialed in. If I saw all that that Jesus did, I got to experience the multiplication of bread and the walking on the water and the miracles and the teaching and the authority and all that happened, I'd be dialed in. And here's Judas, who never really surrendered. And it brings up a question for you and me about what's going on in our own hearts. I can stand up here and put on a great show and, and Brett can stand up here with the worship team and they can play and things look amazing. But what's really going on within the human heart? Is there greed within you? Is there compromise within you? Are there things that, that you're hiding that you know are there but you refuse to deal with because it's your pet sin? See, for Judas... It's easy to go, man, if I was Judas, I would never do that. It says in Matthew 26, 47, and here's our text finally. While he was still speaking, he went back to the disciples and said, you're sleeping again. Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. This is the last moment that Jesus and Judas would ever be in contact one-on-one like this. This is it. And I want you to notice that that Judas specifically said, 
The one that I kiss is the one you need to arrest, and Judas marches right up to Jesus, and as they would in their culture, give a kiss, sometimes both sides, sometimes one side of the cheek, and and Judas leans in and, and gives Jesus a kiss and says, greetings, rabbi, and we all know that he wasn't giving him real greetings. And if you notice Jesus' response to Judas, what does he say? Do what you came to do. Do what you came for. Do you understand that Jesus knew what Judas came for? There's really not a question about that. But if it's on the screen at all, do you notice I left out a word? Do what you came for. Do what you came for. Come on. Do what you came for. Friend. Again, as I'm studying this text and going over the details of it, one of the things that scholars mostly agree on is that this is Jesus extending one more opportunity of mercy towards Judas who didn't deserve it. Do what you came for. Friend. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go there. And the reason I bring it up and the reason I make such a big deal out of it is because for you and I, in the areas in our lives where we go, man, I'd be dialed in if I was so-and-so, and you know as well as I do, there's stuff that tries to hide. There's things that you try to keep in your closet. There's skeletons all over the place, and you think you're getting away with it, and Jesus is calling you out of the shadows, of being a betrayer in your heart. And I don't know what it is for you. And maybe it's a bottle or a joint or maybe it's a porn habit or an affair you're fiddling around with. Maybe it's you're not really honest about what's going on with you at work and there's things you're cheating about or not doing the way you ought to. Where Paul challenges us and all that we do, do us unto the Lord. 30 years into this, I don't stand up here as a pastor and go, I got it dialed, guys. I never feel that pull. I never feel like I got, I got it all, that I got it all together. I never do. And it's not an excuse for sin. And I'm not standing up here knowing there's, there's shadows in the back that would disqualify me from ministry. That's not the case, but I feel the pull like anyone else does. Most of you understand that just because some of us might have a title pastor doesn't mean we're exempt from being stupid. The news bears that out all the time. Is there anything hiding in your heart? And maybe there's not the addiction or the habit or the thing, but sometimes one of the most dangerous things is just apathy. You go through the motions. You, 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 just, you, you check the spiritual box. I did the Jesus thing on Sunday for about an hour, and I can't wait till we're done here because I got lunch plans. And I'm going to go about my week, and I'm going to do kind of whatever I do, and however that goes is great because next week I'll come back and I'll sing Faithful You Are or whatever songs are in the lineup, and I'll try to make it sound as good as I can. But you know that things aren't where they need to be. I don't say it about you as if I'm exempt. What is it that you would fill in the blank for in your own life? And we all have them. If you go back to Genesis 4, 
Anybody ever heard of the story of Cain and Abel? Just raise your hands high if you've just even heard the story. Come on, raise your hands high. You, you wore deodorant today. You're up. You're good. You know the story of Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother, right? And it's from what we understand the first murder in Scripture. And, and, and what is Cain's response when God shows up? First of all, the Lord shows up to Cain, and it goes like this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. See, some of you in here, you got your hand door on your hand, your hand on the handle of the door. Some of you got your foot, and it won't even shut. And that's how we play with sin. We, we, we get as close to the edge as we can without feeling too guilty, without going too far. And yet if you look at the life of Judas, there were hints along the way. He didn't fully believe. He wasn't sold. He was given to greed. He never gave up on his greed to the point where when the jar broke and the perfume was spilled and Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing, Judas is irate. And it didn't come out of nowhere. Most of us, when the scandal rocks our world, it wouldn't come out of nowhere. You know what's bubbling beneath the surface. You know the, the, the fill in the blank, what it might be for you. But can I tell you something? Jesus extends his hand to you and says, friend. Friend extends grace to you again, extends mercy to you again, reaches out to you in the midst of you walking that path. And as a pastor, I pray with people all the time in situations that are heartbreaking, where marriages are broken, where addiction has gotten the best of people, where certain things reign, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. And my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would give you the word about the clues that are bubbling beneath the surface. Would reveal to you those things that are there that maybe they don't seem like much. But like the Lord saying to Cain, it desires to have you. But you must master it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And in that verse, he, he moves on to talk about, he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out. Would you take it today? Would you deal with whatever's there? That eventually, if you leave it, will lead towards destruction. Jesus says, do what you came for, friend. And, and Jesus is then arrested and put on trial illegally and beaten 
and mocked. And then it says this in chapter 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. But it was too late. It was too late. At that point, Jesus was condemned. The gavel was dropped. He was on his way. What's that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. Here's Zechariah's prophecy fulfilled. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. The end. Do you see where this leads when you and I leave the door open? You see what happens when you and I are willing to kind of fiddle around? That's no big deal. They're just a friend from 20 years ago that I thought was cute. I hear that all the time from people. There's all kinds of ways this plays out in our lives. What's in our hearts? And my hope would be that it's stories like this about Judas that, that, that would break us, that, that would deal with the sin there that we go, ah, please, God. As mercy is extended today that you and I can go, Lord, please, I surrender to your mercy. What does it look like for sin to break your heart? What gets in the way that hinders you from the life God has for you in Christ? Because as, even as, as Brett talks about, all of his promises are yes and amen, but the catch isn't the blank slate of you pray and you get whatever you want. It's a place of surrender. What would it look like for you to really live in surrender? To really give it up? See, Jesus extends his hand to us and is willing to call us friend. But what he wants from us is to take it. And Father, today, my prayer is that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move in every one of our hearts. That I don't stand up here exempt from this, like, hey, you people. That, that, that Brett doesn't stand up, Tom doesn't get up here. And, and, and we give the message and it's for them, it's for all of us that we are all prone to allowing what we want to get the best of us to the detriment of our faith. But I pray, God, that we would invite your spirit to break our hearts, to, to, to deal with what's in there, that we get twisted up, that maybe it's people online right now that are, that are just, just chilling on the couch and their mind's all over the place and they know there's stuff that's right there that shouldn't be there. Or we're sitting in this room and we hear the music, but we're sidetracked by the stuff that we're hiding. God, my prayer is that that stuff would break our hearts because it leads to destruction. 
And Lord, on one hand, while we look at Peter and John, and sure, they have different challenges and issues and judgment, or, or, or Peter's got foot and mouth disease, all the stuff, God. There's a lot of incredible things about them. For Judas, it's a little more challenging. But what it came down to is he never surrendered. And Father, I pray in our hearts. I pray in our confession today we would find ourselves in a place of surrender. You know, as your heads are bowed right now and, and your eyes are closed as, as we're just praying, my hope is that this is cutting to the heart of the issue inside of you. But if you're here today and you don't know where you're at in this conversation, I never assume in a gathering like this, everybody's good. Everybody knows Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. And if you're here today and you hear what I'm talking about, it goes back to the story of a Savior that loves us. And if you're here today and, and, and you've never given your life and surrendered to, to Jesus, I want to tell you that, that he made a way for you and I through the cross. That's where we find forgiveness. It's not you doing good things. It's not you measuring out enough good things from the bad things in our lives. Sin breaks our relationship, but God is here that we can be saved. Christ paid the price that you and I can be saved from our mess, not by our works, but by believing in that message. And if you're here today and you say, I want a fresh start, you're here today and you go, I want a clean slate. You're here today and maybe you've never prayed a prayer. I, I, just briefly, you want that new beginning in Christ. You want that fresh start. You want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never done it before or maybe you've done it before and, and maybe you've kind of done your thing and, and, and sown your wild oats and you don't know where you're at in this conversation. This applies to you as well. But if you're here today, and you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you want that new beginning, you want that fresh start, in a moment I'm asking you to raise your hand. The courage to, to go, you know, I want to invite Jesus in. And if that's you today, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three, where are you at? One, two, anybody else? Three, four, anybody else? want to invite Jesus in, you want the fresh start? Five, six, seven, eight. Anybody else besides those eight? Say, I want to invite Jesus. Nine, anybody else? Ten, eleven. I want a new beginning, a fresh start. If you put your hand up, you can put it down now. Anybody else besides the 11 that I saw? If you would do me a favor, those 11, would you repeat a prayer after me? And if you've prayed this prayer before, been in church for a while, you, you invited Jesus in, maybe it was a long time ago, would you pray with us? But if you raised your hand, would you just pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. I believe you paid the price that I could be forgiven all of my sin. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I need a new beginning with you today. Be my savior from my sin. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you do me, do me a favor? The Bible says there's a party in heaven when one makes a commitment, but we had, a, 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 as far as I can count, 11 people that raised their hand. Would you celebrate with us that we had 11 people say yes to faith in Jesus? I think that's a big deal. I'm going to pray one more prayer, and then we need to make the transition. I get that. But uh, if you got maybe some steps or in particular some direction you want to give to those 11, you can let them know what that is. I want to pray one more time. Jesus, I pray for all of us that, God, this message brings us to a place of surrender, that what would our lives look like if we quit toying around with sin? that we don't want to go the way of Judas. And this message isn't meant as a condemnation message. It's meant as a conviction message. That we don't do what Judas did and, and, and find ourselves remorseful but, but not repentant. 
But then instead, God, we find ourselves going, even the smallest things, God, I'm, I, there's apathy. God, I don't really take seriously reading the scripture, or, or, or maybe it's more overt than that. God, I'm fiddling around online and finding websites I shouldn't be, or I, I'm, you know, I got an addiction in my life, this bottle in my cabinet, or whatever it might be. Father, I pray that today would be the day we can draw a line and say, God, I surrender to you. I want what you want, and you have a much better life for me because the direction of that sin, according to God, as he talked to Cain about it, is it wants to have us. It wants to destroy us. But you've come to give us life and help us live and surrender to that life in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.